if you have your Bibles this morning, you can uh, uh, open to the book of Joshua. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to venture your way to the tech booth back there and grab a, um, grab a Bible on the side. If you need to borrow one, feel free to grab that and borrow it. If you don't have a Bible that you can read and understand, that's a great translation. It's the translation that I preach from, and um, you can, all, by all means, grab one of those and take it with you. It is our gift. Uh, we're going to journey in the book of Joshua here, basically through the summer. And uh, as we do so, let me just set a touch of stage here so that you understand what we're kind of the part of history that we're in, the Old Testament history. Uh, the people of God have been delivered out of Egypt. Uh, they've come out of Egypt, uh, you know, 10 plagues and crossing the Red Sea and all that good stuff. Uh, they've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And now Moses has died and Joshua is on the brink of leading the people into uh, the promised land. They're literally on the other side of the Jordan. They got to cross the river and they're in the promised land. That's, that's, the, that's the status. That's where they are. And this is where we find ourselves. Anytime uh, you face a transition, I face a transition, Joshua faces a transition, there's a, there's a certain amount of anxiety that kind of wells up within us. It can be a transition at work. Some of you are facing work-related transitions. It can be a transition in a relationship, either because it's new or it's a new stage to an old relationship, whatever it may be. Uh, there's just this anxiety. There's accompanying anxiety. that goes, Certainly it's true as, as culture uh, shifts and and moves and, and things are you know kind of going the way that they are as we see transitions happening in culture uh, you know there's there's anxiety that comes with it. Uh, how about Barry Camp last week preaching? Last huh? Was that pretty awesome or what? How many? You can clap for him. That's perfectly good. He'll enjoy that. Um, I called him. Um, and I still well I knew it was good when I started getting text messages at nine forty five. That's how good it was. Um, it, well, a couple of weeks ago, I, I say this just as a thing. Like, I called him a couple of weeks ago to make sure he was still good and ha see if he had any questions or anything like that. And he goes, "Hey, hey, I finally got an iPhone." That was one of the transitions that he had. He was excited about. He was. In, and I was like, "Welcome to 2007, Barry. I'm so glad you." Sh I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, it, there's a technology, right? I mean, part of our culture is is. Uh, the inherent within it these days is technology. Um, <clears throat> certainly some of the shifts that have happened with morality and public opinion, this sort of thing. Um, when our culture shifts and, and, and transitions in terms of politics or other things, uh, there's anxiety. There's anxiety when that happens. When, um, when this anxiety wells up, people do, deal with it in different ways. Sometimes people run from it. I'm just not, I mean, anxiety, I'm just going to shove it over there until it's, uh, okay. Uh, some people try to numb the pain, they anesthetize, you know, with some substance or some other pursuit. It's, I don't want to feel this anxiety, so I'm going to do whatever I can to make it go away. Um, some people, uh, they go looking for companions to walk in their anxiety with them. You ever seen this on Facebook where somebody will say something like, oh my goodness, what a day, so glad it's over. What is that? That's just, that's fishing right there. Because somebody's going to say, oh, what happened? Oh, well, let me just tell you. <laughs> right? Uh, and so uh, they go looking for companions. Um, those are the normal ways. There is one other way to deal with it. And this actually came up this week. I don't know if you saw this or not pop up. 
Uh, this is an actual obituary for Marianne Noland. Marianne Noland, faced with the prospect of voting for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, Marianne Noland of Richmond chose instead to pass into the eternal love of God on Sunday, May the 15th, 2016. And you think I'm kidding. That is a legitimate obit straight out of the newspaper in Richmond, Virginia, uh, which, just for the record, don't do that this week, okay? Like, don't, like, don't. People deal with transitions in different ways. This is not one I recommend. Um, the, Joshua, let's start in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people. I love that part. You and all of this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Now, when God starts talking in the past tense about things that are going to happen, that's a good deal right there, huh? It's a good deal. Uh, just as I promised to Moses, verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, this shall be your territory. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Joshua was taking on leadership of the people of God on the brink of the promised land. He was facing this significant um, transition. And, and if that's true of you uh, personally, if it's true of you in some sphere of your life, uh, there are a couple of things here. Uh, one is you and I need to recognize like Joshua. Joshua, and look, look back at verse five. Uh, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses so I will be with you. Joshua is stepping into something that's already established. He is stepping into something that's already in play. He is stepping into the work of God where God's already been at work. And so if you're facing a transition in life, in some sphere of your life, I promise you this, God was at work, he is at work, he will be at work. That's what I promise you. You are stepping into something that God is already doing. And indeed, this is the case for Joshua. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Joshua is standing, if you will, on the shoulders of those who come before. It's true. It's true of us um, individually. It's certainly true of us as a church. Uh, we're standing on, uh, on the shoulders of those who come before. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and this is a tremendous promise. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, and I will not forsake you. Here's what's great for you and me. Um, the Spirit of God rested on Moses, but the Spirit of God lives inside of you and me. I mean, so even better than what God said to Joshua. You and I, as followers of Jesus, if you're in the room this morning and you've turned from your sin, you put your trust in Christ, if you've repented, turned away from all of that and said, yes, God, to, to embrace him and be embraced by him, um, then the Spirit of God lives inside of you to work inside of you, to transform you, to be the people uh, that God wants you to be. If you've not done that this morning, then this is not true of you. And I would simply plead with you to say, hey, listen, there is a God who loves you, who wants to be with you forever, and for you not to be separated from him. And, and so he is offering, has offered his son, and is offering to you in this moment even, for you to turn from your sin and to put your trust in Christ. You can do that today. Today can be the day of salvation. And the Spirit of God will come and take up residence inside of you. Better than Moses. 
not just living the Spirit living upon somebody, you and I have the Spirit living in us. So when you and I face these transitions, as Joshua did, when you and I are on the brink, if you will, uh, of something, then uh, we have something to hold on to here, and that is God is with us in this. And so he calls to Joshua, and he says the same thing three times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why would he need to tell Joshua to be strong and courageous? Well, because anytime you step into leadership, um, anytime you, you have a challenge, or anytime you're in the middle of a transition, there are going to be challenges out there in front of you. And so let's talk about what they are. Let's start in verse 6. No, uh, excuse me, uh, be strong and courageous. This is the first time he said this. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So here's the challenge, so the first challenge. The first challenge is the challenge of leadership. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause what this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Why is leadership a challenge? Two things. One, there are people involved. Can we agree on this? That people are hard to lead. Now, if you claim to be a leader and you don't have people following you, you know what they say about you? You're a man on a walk. That's what you are. If you don't have people behind you, then you're not really leading, right? But people are hard to lead. They have their own opinions. They've got their own ideas. I mean, this is crazy, right? Shouldn't everybody just, this is not, no, they don't just fall in line. This is not just how it goes. People are, are sometimes very difficult to lead. That, that's part of it. And so he says here, you will cause this people to inherit this land. And in Joshua's case, look back up at verse 2 um, when he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people. Joshua is responsible for the entire group of the people of God. The living presence and witness to the glory of God on the earth, Joshua has taken responsibility for that. That's a, that's a burden there, and there's a people to lead. And in Joshua's case, uh, the track record here wasn't all that great. I mean, their fathers had grumbled and griped and groaned, complained and fussed and fumed and all the other things against God. So their track record wasn't all that great, so much so that the reason they spent 40 years in the wilderness wandering around is so the grumblers and gripers could die off. Great. God, you want me to lead that? You? Okay, all right, that's what we'll do then. But not only a people to lead, there was also a past to overcome because Moses had tried to take these people into the promised land. And what happened? This, you can write this down and go look it up later in Numbers 13 and 14. Uh, twelve spies, one of whom is Joshua, uh, twelve spies go over into the land. <clears throat> they check it all out. They come back. There's fruit and there's one. They call it a land flowing with milk and honey which sounds like a big mess to me, but I think it's poetic language for awesome. Uh, and they say, hey, it's, it's incredible, but the people are huge and we're very small and the, and the cities are enormous and we're not very strong to take them. So 10 of the spies say, we're not, there's no way we can do this. Joshua and Caleb say, oh, we got this. We got this. Why? Because we're so awesome? No, because God is the one who promised this to us. God is the one who promised this to us. Moses had tried to lead these people uh, into this very thing, and yet he had failed. And so Joshua's coming up to this challenge, and he's looking at this past going, golly, Moses tried to lead this, and he couldn't do it. There was a past, if you will, to overcome. Uh, if you will, 
can write this down and, and go look it up later. But back in that story, I was just telling in Numbers chapter 14, listen to what Joshua and Caleb and Moses and Aaron say to the people. Only, this is Numbers 14 verse 9, only do not rebel against, listen, do not rebel against the Lord. Because the people's rebellion was not against Aaron, and it wasn't against Moses, and it wasn't against Joshua, and it wasn't against Caleb. It was against the Lord. Only, do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. They're like an appetizer. Uh, their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Again, Numbers 14, verse 9. So not only did they have a people to lead and a past to overcome, but here's the thing. When it comes to leadership um, and, and the challenge of leadership, we have to remember it's God's promises and God's reputations that are at stake. This is true of any sphere of leadership. Some of you lead at home. Some of you lead at school. Some of you lead in your workplace. Some of you lead in other relationships. This is absolutely true. It's not just your reputation that's at stake. Primarily, it's God's reputation that is at stake. And anytime you're trying to lead at work, at home, at school, wherever, anytime you're trying to lead, there are going to be people involved and there are going to be pasts involved that you'll have to deal with, that you'll have to overcome. If you as a leader, um, wherever it may be, if you focus on yourself, in other words, if you take all of this very personally, you will miss the opportunity um, to keep God's perspective through whatever challenges you face. And I promise you, there are going to be challenges. That's part of what leadership does. It creates challenges because you're trying to take a people somewhere. This is true of Joshua. They had to come across, uh, they had to deal with Jericho. They had to deal with sin in the camp. They had to deal with uh, other things. They had to allot the land so that people could get to where they needed to go and on and on and on they could go. Joshua faced challenges. We will face challenges. You will face challenges. As a church, there are two that are just on my heart that I wanted to just Put out there one more time. Two of the challenges I think as a church that we need to step up and, and make sure that we're tuned into. Uh, one is um, there is a growing number of Spanish speakers around us geographically. And so we've created a position. We don't have the money or the person yet, but we've created a position to start a Spanish-speaking ministry here. Because um, I, I mean this not rudely or ugly, but like we're not getting any whiter around here. Have you noticed? Like, if the kingdom of God is going to come in uh, among the people with whom we live, part of that is going to be Spanish speakers, a good portion of that, just by the numbers. It's going to be Spanish speakers. And so, um, you know, we need to pray and, and ask God to bring the right person along to reach people um, whose heart language is Spanish. And then figure out how we're going to do that and how we as a church are going to um, see the kingdom of God come in their lives. Uh, the, the other thing is, um, the second thing, that was one was the Spanish-speaking ministry, and the second thing they wanted to continue to put before us to make sure that we're tuned in to um, is, you know, our desire as a church is to plant another church, and not just a church, but churches, plural, to, to dot this area, if you will, with uh, with churches uh, that have been started out of this church. We were a church plant. Did you know that? How many of you knew that? Just a survey in here. A few of you did. Some of you didn't. 1975, First Baptist Friendswood bought this property, and then they started a church in 1977 right here because we were on the edge of town back then. Weird, huh? Um, so it, if you will, it's in our DNA, but we want to do that. And that's, that's the primary reason we went to two services. 
um, because we wanted to uh, make room for people to uh, uh, for you know make room so that you can invite more people so that we can grow a little bit more and then once we grow to the point where we think we're ready uh, we slice off a group of people and send them out to plant a church and what happens after that well we invite more people God changes people's lives we grow a little bit more and then what do we do we slice off some more and send them out again what happens after that well we invite more people God changes people's lives. I saw them send them out again. We would dot this area with God doing something through us as a church. And so we want to have Spanish-speaking ministry here, and we want to plant churches, plural. We want to plant churches. Those are two of the challenges that we as a church, and again, we've got to continue to stay tuned into. The second challenge starts in verse 7. Look, if you will. Only, he says, this, be, watch the wording here, verse 7. Only, be strong and what? What's it say? Very courageous. Not just courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it, uh, not to the right hand, excuse me, or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The second challenge is the challenge of obedience. The challenge of obedience um, leaves us with two choices. One, uh, we can be very clear, we have clarity, or secondly, we have compromise. Those are our two choices. Clarity or compromise. And I'll just tell you, compromise is in the water. I mean, like it's in the air that we breathe. Every cultural force, all the momentum, uh, all of the, 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 the winds that are blowing, all of that are pushing us towards compromise. And, and here's the thing. Uh, the, the enemy's very smart. He's not going to say, okay, so here's the standard. We want you to compromise way over here. What's he do? He say, okay, so here's the standard. And I mean, just to make sure that we all get along, let's, let's compromise just, just a little bit, Right? Well, the further you get, you know how that separates, right? But then he comes along next. He's like, okay, but you've already given this. I mean, to really make sure that people get along, you know, you should probably compromise a little bit more. And he'll do it by increments until you find yourself significantly separated from what the standard is. That, that's he's smart. He's smart about this. I, I want to be clear on this. One, there is a standard. There is a standard. And secondly, culture doesn't set it. It doesn't. Um. When you look at some of the conversations that we're having in our culture right now, the only statement that comes to mind is that absurdity is reigning right now. And the confusion of our lives uh, makes it all look okay. Absurdity is absolutely reigning. It is, it, is the, it is the one thing that we can say as you look at all the conversations that are going on between all the talking heads on TV and on the radio and in classrooms and other places, and you think, what in the world have we come to? Absurdity reigns, and confusion makes it all look better. There is a standard, and, and, and the culture does not set it. The confusion happens um, when we, well, I think there are probably more areas in this, but let me just give you three. The confusion happens in the area of success. He says here uh, at the end of verse seven, that you may have good success wherever you go. People take that and they think everything's always supposed to go up and to the right. This is the American dream. Everything's always supposed to just move smoothly. up. To, this is not what biblical success is. 
Biblical success is faithfully doing what God has said to do. That's what biblical success is. So when it comes down and he says, you will have good success wherever you go, he's talking about being faithful to God to do what he says to do. Um, There is confusion about not only, well, and furthermore, not just what success is, but what the right price to pay for success is. Secondly, there's confusion about success, but also our sexuality questions these days, I mean, are just, seriously, what world are we living in that we have to answer the questions that people are asking these days? But here's the answer. God has a definition of what proper sexuality is. What is it? Inside the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, yes. Outside of that covenant, no. It's, it is faithfulness inside of the covenant, chastity outside the covenant. That's what it always has been. That's what it always will be. God is the one who sets the standard, not you and me. We don't get to decide one day that we don't like it. This is what God has says true. And so there's confusion about success, there's confusion about sexuality, and ultimately I think there's confusion about what is the path of salvation. And, and you think about all the, again, the conversations that we're having about how people are trying to make their lives right. And I think that's the key. They're trying to make their lives right. And what is it doing? They're, they're searching for, seeking salvation. And Jesus says there's not multiple paths to make your life right. There's only one path to make your life right. He says, I am the way, not one of the ways. I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And nobody, doesn't matter what shape, form, color, creed, uh, orientation, identification, what, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. That's it. And all of this actually points back to him anyway. Because all of the conversations that we're having, all of the absurdity that is absolutely ruling and reigning in our world today, and all the confusion that, is, that, that surrounds it, that's trying to dress it all up and make it, make it look okay, all of that just points to our brokenness that says we need somebody to come in and set us straight. And Jesus is willing. He is willing to deal with our sin, and he's willing to help us grow into who we want to be, excuse me, who he wants us to be. So we have two choices, either clarity or compromise. And again, just carefully look here at verse 7. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left. I think that's important to say. Why? Because when it comes to obedience, any variation is actually disobedience. Any variation off of the path is actually disobedience. Don't turn from it to the left, to the right. And I think that's why he says, be very strong. Be very courageous. He, he wants us to hear, hey, this is going to take some guts here. This is going to take some guts to continue to live this way when everything seems to be going the other way. When all the winds, the prevailing winds are, are blowing a different way, you feel like, ah, I think I'm going to get caught up in it. I think I'm going to get caught up in it. What is, what is the word of God to us? Be strong and be very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. These are not days uh, when we can afford to be anything less than very strong and very courageous. We can't afford to it. Well, where where do we get that clarity? I'm glad you asked. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Here we go. And then you will have good success. You will be faithful to do what God has said to do. Clarity comes from the Bible. That's the deal. 
Prosperity comes from the Bible. Um, you want to know where we can find a, a, a proper, appropriate, um, culturally, um, uh, a transcultural definition of success? You find it in the Bible. You want to know where people who um, have questions about and are confused about sexual issues, you find answers where? In the Bible. You, you want to know where you find um, uh, the, the right answers um, to the important questions of things like how does one become right with God? You find them in the Bible. The most important uh, questions, the, they have their best answers right here. It's in the Bible. Clarity comes from us being in the Word of God, being people who are marked by the Word of God. And so what is our job? What is our response to that? It's to memorize it and to meditate on it. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. The Hebrew word for meditate actually has a, a cognate, a, a related word like mumble. Mumble. Anybody ever tried to memorize something and you find yourself just repeating it? You're like, you're trying to memorize it where you're, and people are like, what is that guy doing? This is what he's talking about. This is why it's not going to depart from your mouth. The reason it doesn't depart from your mouth is because you're, you're working on it. You're chewing on it, if you will. You're meditating on it. You put it in there and you let it just, you know, you just work on it and work on it, work on it, work on it until um, it becomes a part of who you are. To meditate on something uh, scripturally was to, again, kind of put it in your mouth and just chew on it, mumble it around. Um, and I want to be very pastoral here because some people, and I've had this conversation multiple times, they come and like, hey man, uh, I mean, I like you. The church seems to be in good shape. Uh, I don't understand the Bible. There are parts of it that really confuse me. Can I just say, I don't understand all of the Bible and there are parts of it that are really confusing to me too? I, I don't. But you don't have to understand it or you don't even have to see its relevance initially to be convinced that it's true. This is God's revealed truth to us. It is God's truth to us. And so what is our best response to say, hey, listen, I believe that it's true and I don't understand it, but at some point God's going to help me understand it. I know that I'm just going to believe that it's true, though. Well, I don't think that this is relevant for me. At some point it will be relevant for me. God will make it relevant for me. I just, right now, I just believe that it's true. Clarity comes from the Bible. That's, we've got to get a hold of that. We're going to be strong and very courageous in the cultural moment in which we live. We have to be people who are rooted and grounded in the Bible. Last challenge is the challenge of emotions. Look at verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Um, the emotional challenges that Joshua faced, think about this. His mentor had died, so he had grief. Um, he, <coughs> excuse me. His mentor died. He had had grief. Um, he was looking at the land with significant challenges, big cities, big people, all of that kind of stuff. And so he had doubt. He was looking at the people who are around him. And he's going, I don't know, can I really do this? So there's insecurity. Uh, not many people know this, and I, you know, kind of opening up here a little bit. Uh, counseling session, if you will. You can charge me later. Um, for, I've been a pastor here nine years and some change now. Uh, for the first about four years, I didn't sleep on Saturday nights very much. 
And here's the thing. At that point, I had been preaching about 10 years, week in, week out. So it wasn't the preaching part. I mean, standing up and talking, that's not a thing. It was the weight. It was the weight of knowing that the next morning I had to get up and declare the Word of God to the people of God. And I was going to be the tool by which God spoke to His people. And there wasn't a, a you know another person or somebody like it was just the weight, the, the bearing the weight of saying, hey, tomorrow you have to stand up and say this to the people of God. It, there's just a weight that comes with that, and the, the emotional weight of that. I mean, it's it's a real thing. I I have personally experienced this. And in Joshua's case, he was dealing with grief, he was dealing with doubt, he was dealing insecurity, and that's just from his own stuff. Then God comes along and says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be frightened and don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. Why would God say, Joshua, don't be scared and don't be discouraged? Because he would face fear and discouragement. These are two tools that the enemy loves to use um, to to distract the people of God or to put the people of God uh, off the path or whatever. These are the enemy loves to use these tools, fear and discouragements for you individually and certainly for us corporately, when these emotions well up inside of us, um, we we have two choices. We can live by these emotions, uh, or we can live by the Word of God. We can live by our fear and our discouragement or our grief or our doubt or our insecurity, or we can live by the Word of God. And what is the Word of God to us? Be strong and courageous. And your emotions may have to come in line behind you, but be strong and courageous. If you've been around here, you've heard me say this before. If you're fairly new, maybe not yet, but um, this is kind of our standard statement on the emotional life of the, of the Christian. Emotions, here's what they are. They are terrific companions, and they are terrible guides in life. They are great companions, but they are terrible guides. God gave them to us to help us figure out some things and work through some things and all this kind of stuff, right? To warn us of some things, that's what emotions do. But they they are terrible guides. And if we rely on our emotions instead of relying on God's Word, if we're relying on how we feel in the moment instead of be strong and courageous, uh, boy, we're going to find ourselves in a wreck. Why? Why would Joshua, why would God say this to Joshua? And on what basis could he find it in him to be strong and courageous? Look at the last part of verse 9. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's the thing. For the Lord your God is with you. God promises to us his presence. Listen, if you're in a transition like Joshua was, it won't always be easy. There are promises that God gives to us that are not fun promises but they're there. It won't always be easy. It won't. Here's what he promises, though. Better than ease, I'm with you. Better than comfort, I'm with you. Better than everything always going up and to the right, I am with you. I'm with you. Where did Joshua learn this? Where did he see it? In Exodus 33, Moses is up on the mountain, and uh, God's getting ready to send the people on. He's like, I'll send an angel with them. Go on. And what does Moses say? Hey, listen, God, if you don't go with us, don't send us up from here. Don't send us up from here. 
Because it's your presence that makes a difference. It's your presence that makes a difference. I have one verse to close, and I want to do it in, from here, but some of you are facing significant anxieties because of transitions in your life, because of the things that you're looking at, the promised land, whatever it may be. God promises to us His presence. Listen to this from 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, not unlike Joshua, by the way, he may exalt you. Casting, listen, casting all your anxieties upon him. All of your anxieties, not just the ones from work, not just the ones at home, not just the ones that roll around in your heart or keep you up at night. All Casting all of your anxieties upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. That's what he says. I am with you and I care for you. I am with you, and I care for you. So to bring me all of your stuff, bring me all of your, all of these anxieties, bring them to me, casting all of your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. I'm going to pray here in just a second, and we're going to take some time and do that. That's what I want you to do this morning. I think that's what God wants you to do because he's sufficient to carry all of this stuff. Some of you have anxieties about things that are going on in your work world. Some of you have anxieties about things that are going on in your physical world. Some of you have anxieties about things that are going on in your relational world, whatever. Cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Let me pray.